before Paula died, I never thought my conscience, my thoughts, part of that or all of it or some of it are from the Holy Spirit. This is the way I'm getting the communication and other people, other people, friends, family that say things to you, that's also an intervention. You must be awake and alive in your head and see, see what is being told to you, asked of you, shown, Mm. and then act on. And take little steps. You don't have to take big steps, take little steps. Hello and welcome. I'm Tanya Reason, and this is the Gospel According to Mum, the show where we discuss the transformational work done in us by Jesus Christ as we live out motherhood and discipleship with Him. In part two of this episode, Carol and I continue our discussion of faith and recovery from the loss of a child. Carol shares more of her story of recovery over the months and years after Paula's passing. Carol talks about how important structure was to daily life, how substituting parental habits with good things was crucial as she developed serious illnesses and underwent surgeries as a result of the stress of grieving. We discuss the importance of accepting God's plan, his blessings and love, and keeping that channel of love open within us even after our child has passed. And isn't that just so typical of God who is so beautiful that in healing us, He gives help and hope to others at the same time, because that's what your book is doing. But it's also healing you at the same time. Yeah, he's he's wonderfully. That's just an an image of his generosity, isn't it? Really. Yes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. But when we when I was reading about Mary and I was trying to sort of work through this, and it, it's. I mean, you you've said very clearly, and obviously you you and you say that that this help and these miracles are coming from Jesus and God. That is the source, obviously. And I really want people to understand where you're coming from with Mary because when I read it, the the scripture that burst into my mind was Mark 5.28 and I'm talking about the woman with 12 years of bleeding. And I, if you recall, she said, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that Mary is almost like Christ's robe for you. You know, your faith is is still in in Christ, but you just have this sort of human thing to hold on to as well. And through that is a channel for His blessings. And does that does that sound anywhere near? <laughs> I'll, I'll explain what you're talking about yeah. and why that feeling is important. God knew who he wanted to bear his son. Mm. I remember that. First of all, mm-hmm. beginning, the beginning of Christ was placed in Mary. She was selected by God. Mm-hmm. No one can take that away. No one could change my mind from that. Yeah. There's no atheist in this whole world yeah. that could tell me differently. Yeah. God selected Mary. Mm-hmm. So I, I take that information and I cherish it and I say, what? Put all the facts together. She bore him. She fed him. She raised him. She knew who he was because Angel Gabriel told her. Mm-hmm. So she knew everything. And goodness knows what did Jesus tell her 
when he was growing up. Mm. There's no scripture about that yeah. that we could rely on. Only mystics could come out with things or we, the humans, the average people that can sit and mentor and think about what it must have been like for Mary and Jesus and Joseph growing up as a family, typical family. Yeah. Probably back then. Yeah. So, it was common sense to me that Mary is the beginning point for me to go to as a woman to a woman. And a lot of men pray the rosary and they love their mother. Men love, a lot of them love their mother. Mm. Most men have their mother on a pedestal. It drives the wives crazy yeah. sometimes, <laughs> but that's the truth. Yeah. So we all love Mary. Some of us just don't know her. Mm. We don't know who she is because no one really told us who she is. You know, they tell us. I mean, I've had people say to me, oh, you know, she's not God. And of course she's not God. I yeah. never prayed to her as my God. No. And that's very clear from your book. Yeah. yeah. And But why can't I have her my, as my mentor? Yeah. Because she could lead me. You know, and I read in one of the rosary books on how to say the rosary, a one passage that was so interesting. It says, don't, don't be hesitant. I'm not, this, this is not a quote. This is just my words coming out mm. as to what was said. Don't be hesitant and bashful what you're going to ask Blessed Virgin Mary that you want. Do it. Make it big, especially the very first time you have a first rosary. Make it big, spectacular. Mm-hmm. You will be surprised. And I tell so many people, don't give up on the rosary. Some people, they say five days of the rosary, five Hail Marys, be five rosary. And they're, they haven't been honored with what they asked. Be reasonable. Sometimes you have to pray, maybe months. Some people, maybe years. But you're going to get what you want because she's going to make sure that she helps you out. What I asked for, for me, was to release the pain. Please release the pain. Mm. I started to accept these surgeries because they gave me pain, real pain, physical pain. I didn't have time to think about the mental pain. Mm. And the process of healing, there's something that's so important for me to pass on. Fill yourself, your time with good value, good things to do. Yeah. And you will find that you won't have time to mourn over your child because you're going to be doing other things. Right. Yeah. Part of healing, mm. the beginning, big step. Yeah. Big step. Well, you say that with the with the, even the, the start of your day where you, you said don't you, you got into the habit of not even waking up lying on your back. Because if you woke up looking at the ceiling, you wouldn't want to get out of the bed. You had to roll over and get up and make a coffee and get dressed and just get on with the mundane of life to get yourself going every day. Otherwise, you would have just stayed in bed. You rolled out of bed and you jumped in the shower. Mm -hmm. Don't make your coffee until after the shower. (laughs) Because I found out if I did not take that shower to wake myself up, Mm. I would make my coffee and sit there and start crying in my coffee. So that was a no-no. Okay. Yeah. 
See, it's the order is important too. See, that's a discipline even in that's itself. That's the structure. Yeah, this, yes, of course, the structure. I'm just going to go back a little bit because you did talk about pain and you said something really interesting, that, that the pain that you felt of losing Paula was from your skin, from your skin right into your heart. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about Jesus's suffering on the cross, which must have been obviously significant. But I, my, my theory is that the mental pain that Jesus suffered in his life was far greater than the physical pain. And now you have been through both. And it seems from your writing that that mental pain was the worst pain. Would you say that that's true? Absolutely. The mental pain was the worst pain because it brought me down. It brought my spirit down. It even brought my soul down. And that was so sickening to me, feeling that way, because that's a depression that you cannot get rid of. You have to be so positive. And I will say that I do believe in going to doctors. Mm-hmm. I went I went for help. I, I got on an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. And I made sure I went to a Christian doctor mm-hmm. that believed in God. We talked first before any prescription was written. Yeah. But I, I needed help. That first year was, whew, that was like really, really bad. But um, the antidepressant, it did help me. It, it took the edge. It's like a razor. And I think that that kind of like flattened that razor slightly, slightly. Mm. And, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a health person. I, I believe to eat good, sleep well. I exercise. So, you know, I, I was real careful with medication. And when I thought I could get off of it, you know, through that, the doctor's advice, I got off of it. And I, I wrote about uh, having, you know, counseling. Go, I went to a group at the hospital. And uh, you know how that turned out. No one talked about God. Mm. The group, 10 of us, all upset and crying and sad, feeling bad because we lost, some didn't lose a child. They lost their, their husband or their wife, mm. their mom or their dad. They were there in grief. No one talked about God. I talked about God. Yeah. And I never went back. Mm. Now I look back and I said, oh, that was really childish not to go back. You should have gone back. Yeah. You could have evangelized. I know. <laughs> but I didn't know, I know. I didn't know how to do that. Yeah, well, that's you the know? thing, isn't it? I you, wasn't ready. you weren't ready. That's right. You weren't ready. ready. And, now, and now you are, really, with this book. And now you're ready. This is, as you say, the finale of your healing. There's a couple of things. When you when you were talking about the, the suffering of, of that, that physical pain, Hebrews 4.15 came to my mind where it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way and obviously suffered in every way just as we we are, and yet he did not sin. And you said a lovely thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it because I think people need to hear it, that you should talk to Mary's son Jesus as though he's your best friend and closest member of your family because you trust him with your life. And I think that's something, you know, we have all sorts of forms of praying and the rosary, rosary is one. And I, I'm increasingly 
adoring, a disciplined approach to coming to God. But also there's that familial feeling that we should have to be completely open with with Christ all through our sufferings. But you said you were called to pray, and prayer is a big thing through your recovery, but you you were called. Can you explain what that what that looked like? Well, you know, Tanya, praying to me is like basically two different ways. You have the proper way, you know, the textbook way, the way they teach you in school, in Catholic school or Lutheran school or wherever, what Christian school you go to. So you have one way of praying that is proper, elite, over the top. That's good. And I do it. Mm-hmm. I also do the other which is human, which is me being a little girl, mm-hmm. which is me being able to, you know, prostrate. I didn't even know what that word meant mm-hmm. until I started reading the Bible. Yeah. Even doing that, lying down on your stomach, hands out, praying to God, talking to God. How many times did I get, I couldn't go on my hands and my knees too much because I had two knee surgeries, Mm. but I would make sure I would be on the floor and I would start talking to him like he was my heavenly father. Yeah. And which was even a deeper talk because I probably couldn't have said that to my real dad, Mm. but my godly father, I was able to say a lot to him. And that is part of therapy that is just unbelievable that also doesn't cost you any money. It's free. All you've got to do is open your heart and your soul. Yeah. Why do do we hide? Why do we hide? You know, we, I don't even know, Tanya, if it's hiding as it is, that there still is sometimes, even for me, I have that little tiny feeling, is it real? Is it true? Is it really real? But then, like my father would say, why would you want to gamble and say, it's not for real? Mm -hmm. When if you say that, you know, there's no hope for you. This is it, baby right here on earth. Right. After you die, that's it. Why would you want to take a chance that you're going to get that when you can get something miraculous Mm. up in heaven? So I always chose to take miraculous, the bigger part. Right. Because I was able to live a better life. Yeah, yeah. Because I believed that. And that that wonderful acceptance that you have, because at the start of your story, you were quite clear on the night that Paula passed and and the the following days that you found it very difficult to accept help, even even to be driven to the hospital. and then yeah. and then yeah. you've had this this moment where yeah. you've been called by God to pray. It was almost as if he was saying, "Carol, you need help. I'm going to help you ask me for help now." And then you've gotten to a place where you have just accepted some amazing things that have happened 
and that has been a blessing to you to not shun them hasn't it even if even if they're not even if they're not something you can understand right now you've gone okay i'm i'm going to take that because it made me feel better it made me encouraged it uplifted me it gave me hope so i'm going to take it and there were there were also moments and incidences in my life that which i had no control over that were not good that you know that were painful and hurtful and had nothing to do with Paula's death it was other things that occurred you know the divorce from my my her father and although we were divorced when Paula died so i i knew that she had accepted that and everything but the point of this is that it depends on what is going on in your life your life as the parent when your child dies affects your healing mm. it could either make it better or it can make it worse if it makes it better than okay maybe you don't have to discipline yourself so much to pray so much but if there's other things involved that you worry about or you feel guilty about then you have to take that establishment on and do extra penance you could call it and you ask your child to forgive please forgive me mm. you know arguments with your kids i would just really say paula come on forgive me mm. please forgive me yeah. it wasn't your best interest and you know paula that i'm i'm, I'm right about that mm. and i believe that yeah yeah that's something that you talked about as well as as well as loving your child after they've passed also working through some of the things that you feel guilty about because there were moments weren't there where you had to you had to let those things go and it's of you know course. regret of course. regret is going to prevent your healing isn't it you know in honesty is good but then honesty you have to be very careful and i could tell you and your and in the audience that when as i wrote the book i have a family to respect i have privacy to respect i do not want to hurt anyone in writing this book and there's some trash that i might have had to live through that i didn't want to share yeah. with the world because there was no reason to mm -hmm. this book is written for only one reason one reason alone it is for me giving you hope mm -hmm. i can't promise you a rose garden but i can tell you if you believe in god and you thank him every day for your life you are going to live a very good life you're on earth even in hard times you're going to make it and that requires patience doesn't it i mean you've had to have significant patience how you know from someone like me who has almost no patience and it's very upsetting i actually almost to the point of tears the other day because i looked at my youngest daughter and i see that she's worse than me but i could have wept because i thought and i said to god I don't know how to teach her patience because I'm so bad at it. 
you, you have to help me with her because I know that not having patience can be extraordinarily destructive in your life. And it is something the Lord was working on me all the time. Oh, Tanya, but, but you have amazing patience, I think, to have done what you've done. I am going to interrupt you because you said something that is so perfect. Keep on doing what you're doing. Pray on it. And God is going to lead you. You're going to be led. You won't know this, but you will be led. You have to open yourself up. When you get that feeling in your thought, well, maybe I should back off a little bit. Consider that a God thought. He's telling you something. Mm-hmm. Try it. Back off. Right, yeah. Experiment with your thoughts. Remember, there's a way the Holy Spirit comes into us. I never I never knew that for all these years. I mean, before Paula died, I never thought my conscience, my thoughts, part of that or all of it or some of it are from the Holy Spirit. Mm. This is the way I'm getting the communication and other people, other people, friends, family that say things to you. That's also an intervention. You must be awake and alive in your head and see, see what is being told to you, asked of you, shown, Mm. and then act on. And take little steps. You don't have to take big steps. Take little steps. Mm. Yeah, that's where I fall down, I think, because when something occurs, and if I even get a whiff that it might be something from God, I pounce on it. And, you know, and I think what you just said there is is that, and what's evident in the way you talk is is this just letting it come into your life and not rushing, rushing into to manipulate it or change it or any of those things. No, Tanya, I am not, um, I don't consider myself a high-class, full-fledged author. I, do, I consider my book, I think I wrote it simple, like as if I'm talking. Mm, Yes, it is. Yeah, and that's what makes it a joy to read. It's very understandable. Mm. I I wrote the way I am, and I think that that's the way we have to live Mm. our life. It's who we really are. You know, no acts. You don't have to put on for anybody. Uh, Be yourself. Be true to yourself and true to God. And make sure your circle is lined up for your best. That's God first, your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, and your friends. And sometimes they'll interact with each other. But I like the part, one of the best parts, because I came to me when I was writing, is this family circle. And when one dies out of that circle, you have the whole dynamic of that circle changing. Mm. You have to redo, replenish, regrow, restructure that whole circle, yeah. family, again, because one part is missing. Mm. That's where we were talking about habits. One of my, my first guests actually on the show, Linda, lost a baby, and she said that when you lose a baby, you grieve the experiences you were expecting to happen. But that was true for you when Paula was an adult, wasn't it? It was It was still the loss of the expected experiences. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I said, I'll never be a, the mother of a bride. Mm. I'll never be 
a grandmother to her children. Yeah. Yeah. So what was her life really to me? I, like I said, I think it, she brought, she brought happiness to me uh, while she was alive. She brought tears to me and she brought anger to me. We were not an unusual mother daughter team. A mother has to have discipline. I wasn't her girlfriend. I was her mother, but we had a good relationship that I, I look back on. But I believe that her life and her death uh, was a benefit to me for myself, how to be, how to change, how to ask God for all of my sins that I had done prior to her death to be forgiven truly in a way that I had not prayed before. Mm. So working through all of those those regrets and, and the losses. But then, of course, there's the loss of the expected family structure there. But then, as we were talking about earlier, the loss of the habits of being a mother and of, of having this person in your life, someone who's been extremely close and, and deeply interwoven into your life. And you said something wonderful about that, that, that you can't just drop those habits and put nothing in their place. There has to be a substitution, doesn't there? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And there's so many things we could do to, to put those substitutes in there. There, there's so, especially today, there's so many good things that we can do for ourselves and for one another that will help to fill that empty space. And I do believe, I believe that God made us so miraculous that when we do lose someone we love, they do take something out of us too, their death. Mm. And also, as I wrote that book, I thought about the adopted family. I was mm. very considerate. Yes. Because I could not neglect that adopted mother and father. Yeah. And what is my belief? I never adopted a child. But I will say this. I do know of adopted parents. I've seen their family structure. I've seen their love. And I believe truly that God took care of the DNA situation for them. Mm. I really do. Mm. I think he put in his little sprinkles of miracle. Yeah. A lot of them that are adopted look just like the parents, yeah. almost more so than the biological parents. So there's something so miraculous how we're made that how could you not believe that there's a God? Yeah. It seems I, my husband and I were discussing this the other day, and we we haven't really we're not really sure where we've got to on the point. But God, if God is love, are we a conduit for His love? So when we feel love, it's because it's coming from Him, or are we also generating our own? And I, I still don't know precisely where I am on that point, but I think very strong. I'm leaning very strongly towards the idea that we are we are largely conduits for his love. And I think that's how, how we're able to love people who aren't in our family. It's not just about DNA and biological lines, is it? We are given love that we then feel for others and we, we're called to love some people, aren't we? You know, yes. And could it be possible that God 
planted this love in each one of us and expects and knows that each one of us is going to discover that love some period during our lifetime and be able to pull that love out, mm-hmm. accept it, thank him for it, mm-hmm. and then pass it on to others. Because I know when I feel love, I want to give. Mm. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? We never, You never feel a loving feeling towards someone and think, I'm going to take something off them. That never happens. It's yeah, always. No. You always want to give. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. how you make spoiled children. Yeah. <laughs> I got into trouble with that. Yeah. You know, I was good at that. But yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But that's true. Yeah. But, and, you know, there's another thing, too, uh, that I think about is, that, you know, I, I, I do believe in God. But, you know, I also have this other side of me that says, don't show it. Don't don't act like you're a holy roller. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't be preaching every single minute. Stop. Don't do that. And I just think that when I'm on a podcast, I'm different. And when I'm alone or with my friends or whatever, mm-hmm. there I'm me. Here I have something come into me, mm-hmm. something bigger than me. Yeah. I can't explain it. Yeah. Because it's never happened to me before. Mm-hmm. I made this turn with the book. I think it's absolutely true. What you were saying about talking talking about God and, and not preaching. I think you've hit it on the on the head beautifully by, by talking about Jesus as, as Mary would have. You know, I think I think we we try and be um preachers or um, you know, amazing theologians and, and don't get me wrong, there are some incredible people who've done incredible work studying and their 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 value is inestimable. But but I think just talking the way you would about someone you love is going to be equally, if not more, impactful. Because, I mean, that's who Christ becomes, isn't it? I mean, God God is our family. If we think of him as our kinsman redeemer, he's He's our closest family member. That's right. You know, you know and there's one, one uh, thought that I just came up with when you we were talking that I'd like your listeners to, to know that um, when I have a bad day mm-hmm. and things aren't going my way, I stop and I think, wait a minute. I said the rosary yesterday. She's got my back. Mm-hmm. That's the habit. Yeah. That I mention often because we are people of habit. Yeah. Yeah. We just don't realize. It. Yes. It's it's so true. I remember when I first went to church as an adult, and this was before I was baptized, and I was sitting in church and it was a church of Christ, so they take communion every week. And I was sitting there thinking, well, I, I know who Jesus is. I don't need to take communion. And then one morning I thought, hang on a minute. You're doing this to remember. This is a habit to make you remember what Christ did. And I started taking communion. And that was that was really the point where, from that point, that was where I met Jesus. And I realized on that day that these habits, they're not, they're not meaningless rituals. As you say, they are really important because we are so... Weak in a way, you know, we forget yeah. and we need to yeah. be reminded constantly. And what you had there was a reminder that you can have faith. Mm. You had that 
that experience of saying the rosary, it was a physical thing that you had done that reinforced for you that today you can have faith. And being Do you know, Tanya, that, that chapter about the, uh, the habit, I read that, like, I don't know, probably it was two months after the book was published in, when I went to bed and got my book and I, pulled, I just opened it up to any chapter. It was the habit. And I read it and I said, Gosh, is that true? Because <laughs> it's just like I didn't write the book. I yeah. love it because it's like, oh, you know, and then, but there's so much in there. It's just like, you know, everyone wants to talk about what's in the beginning of the book, but the goodies are in the end of the book. <laughs> A lot of them, you know. That's so true, and yeah. That's what I want to read about yeah. so I could remember. Yeah. Because I do, I mean, I'm, when you get elderly, I am 79, going to be 79. I forget. I do forget. I forget my phone all the time. There's, I, I forget a lot of stuff. Yeah. And also, I'm getting. Really, I'm. I'm. I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good author. Yeah. Yeah. You're ministering to yourself. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. I minister to myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like look, look. God says, look, Carol. Look at what you've learned. Look how far you've come with me. Yeah, I, look how far I've brought you. Yeah. Well, that's, that's wonderful. So sweet of you. Brother. That's so sweet of you to, oh, to have read it. I'm so glad that I did. It's it's really had a, a massive impact on me. The one of the one of the other things that I wanted to, to touch on though is you said that you found yourself no longer in the game of being a good Christian. And I almost cried when I read this because you said, now it's the serious testimony of my faith. And you talk about the importance of finding ways to find accomplishment to keep positivity up and to keep you moving forward. But you said this is the largest accomplishment I can make in my life, is this serious testimony of your faith, being true yes. to God. Yes. Not a show, not a show for others, mm. not a show about what I wear to church, not a show of how I, how I speak, or even that I can remember certain Things in the Bible, which you know, the Bible is very, very difficult for me. I'm, I'm learning it now. I, I go to Bible class every week, and I, I also was going every evening on Wednesday for six months. My husband and I went together, and the Bible is it's beautiful. There's so many ways to interpret, you know, the phrases of it, but it still brings me back to who I am and what I'm supposed to be like. And we are supposed to be loving and giving to everyone that we can be mm -hmm. and walk away from someone who is mean to you. They don't have to know you're mad. Just walk away mm -hmm. politely because that is doing a godly thing. Yeah, That's how, you know, I, I think for real that I really do want to go to heaven because I really do want to see her again. Mm. I, I just picture her holding her arms out, yeah. you know, and I, I like fly to her, my soul. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a glorious day. You know, I don't want to die, but I'm not as afraid of death as maybe I used to be. Yeah. That's important too. That's growth. Yes, it really is. That's growth. Yeah. To be able to live here as you have and to not, not want to leave life and to try and find life 
in its fullness here, but also not to be afraid to go home mm-hmm. as well. That's it's, right. it's a strange tension, isn't it? Yes. That we're living under. You know, there there's a radio announcer I heard on the radio. He announced several years ago that they did a survey and for moms of a deceased child, a lot of them die within the first 10 years of the death of their child. And there's just like 80 to 90% get divorced. I, I figured out why, mm-hmm. because I went through, I mean, I first of all went through a divorce. And the second thing, I went through the death of my child, but it was not with the biological father. Daddy knew Paula. He knew her for a year. He cared about her. He loved her in his own way for just meeting her for a year. Respected her. But he was not the biological father. Therefore, when I was hurting so bad, he was able to give to me what I needed. Yeah. I needed the human food. I needed sympathy. Mm-hmm. I needed assurance. I needed reassurance. I needed comfort, human comfort. Yeah. You not only need spiritual comfort, you need human comfort too. Yeah. It's like you need you need it all. And that's what you gotta pray for. You pray for I need it all. You know what I need, God. Yeah. And I got it. I got God, He took care of me. Mm. He put Denny in my life before she died. I truly believe that. Yeah. It take it takes things like that, doesn't it, for us to ask God for everything. I don't hear that very often. I don't know if people do it privately, but I don't hear very often people saying, God, give me everything. I need everything right now. They say, well, (laughs) you just give me that bit over there because I reckon I can get that myself and I can do this one. Yeah. Yeah. Help me out. Yeah. 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 I need everything now. And maybe we should be praying that all the time, you know, no matter what's happening in our life. I need everything today. Yeah, because that will set us back. We'll do that, and then you could stop and say, wait a minute here. Do I really need all of it? Mm. Of course not. Yeah. So that's kind of like, you know, the devil's advocate. Yeah. You know, you ask yeah. for a lot, but then you settle for just what you really need. Yeah. yeah. Mind you, you say, too, that there is a responsibility on you as well. You have to be active in your own healing and, you know, move forward with what blessings he gives you. That's right. Yeah. If if, uh, if you've got some parents out there that are hurting, I'm going to tell you, yes, you pray and ask God for help. He's going to come back. Open that heart and soul. You are the boss of your own body. You take charge. He gave that to us. He gave us free will. Mm-hmm. You use that free will. Get strong. You know what to do. Yeah. Start doing it. Build yourself a structure. That was the stepping stones, wasn't it, for your healing, yes. the structure. So. Yeah, yeah, to give you strength and keep moving forward. Yeah, yeah. I would like to to finish up with, with one last thing. At the end of the book, and I, I don't want to reveal too much, but you write a lovely, I would say, I would call it a prayer, you write a lovely passage to your own mother. Now from your your vantage point of being 79 at the time of writing the book and it was just so beautiful the way that you spoke to her as if you were almost on an equal footing in a way because you've gained an understanding of being 
at a similar age. But the thing that struck me about it was not what you said. It was I realized that as I'd been reading the book, if I didn't know you and didn't know anything about you, the voice that you write with doesn't have an age. You sort of called my attention to it when you when you put yourself at, this, at a similar age of your mother who's now passed on. But I realized I would not have been able to tell what age Carol was when when you wrote this book. And it was really wonderful to to realize that because I realized that, you know, who we are is is not about the years we've been on the earth, is it? No. And another big thing attached to that is when you are an elderly mother and you lose a middle-aged child, and I'm witnessing it here where I live, okay? and some people will have the attitude, well, you've had your child longer than I had mine. Mine died young. Mm-hmm. You've had yours, and she was in 55. So she lived all those years. My attitude is, no, 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 no. Don't say it. The mom that lost her daughter when she was 55, her daughter or her son at 55, had that more years to love and that more years of remembering and that more years of sorrow, Mm. of the love. So there is no age that anyone should put between a mother, father, and their children. Mm. Doesn't matter if you lose your baby when you are carrying your child in the womb and you have a miscarriage. Mm. Tragic as it is if they were 65 and you were 90 because it's love. Mm. Absolutely. Well, Carol, it has been amazing to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I feel so blessed. I would love to talk to you for another 10 hours. I have many, many more questions. <laughs> but, well, I'll come back. <laughs> yeah, I, might, I might have to get you back on because I have, yeah, I have many things to I'd think about. To. And you know what? I, I feel certain that if I read your book in 10 years, which I probably will, I would see different things again just because there's so much going on there but once again I can't I can't recommend it enough for anybody whether you are going through uh, a traumatic experience whether you've lost a child or whether you are uh, just a a mum who has time to read a book (laughs) that you really should get a copy of Carol's book and and read it because there's there's so much more to be found in in everything that she's written there and and decades of wisdom to draw from. Thank you so much again for coming on the show. It's been such a privilege to meet you and uh, I hope you had a lovely time and uh, hopefully we'll speak again soon. Yes, I'll be there if you ever need me. Thank you. And Tanya, I only have known you such a short time, but I do love you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, you so are much. Super, super good person. Oh, thanks. I feel it. You know, oh, and you've got two beautiful daughters, and you take care of them. I will. Yeah, I'll do my best. Thank you. Asking you God will. for, I'm asking God for more. I think these days. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks for listening today. You can find out more about the show, our guests, and subscribe and download through all our channels by visiting thegospelaccordingtomum.com. 
My next guest is Mariana Jepez. Mariana is a mother of two, originally from Colombia. She's the first in her immediate family to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Mariana shares her testimony and her epic seven-year journey of infertility that brought her into closer relationship with God and deeper understanding of his sovereignty in her life. In the meantime, be encouraged, friend, and remember, the God who taught you to love will not leave you as you walk with him more and more at your own pace. I'm Tanya Reason, and you've been listening to The Gospel According to Mum. Till next time.